The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into Hour 2 of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to talk about uh, oil and uh, pipelines and, and much, much more with the author of a new book called Follow the Pipelines, Uncovering the Mystery of a Lost Spy and the Deadly Politics of the Great Game for Oil. Um... The author is uh, Charlotte Dennett, and she joins me by phone. Good morning, Charlotte. Welcome to the show. Well, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing okay, um, but I feel like I'm. I, I feel like you do such a deep dive on the subject of um, oil in the Middle East since World War II, especially that I'm in way over my head. Um, how did you get so interested in the the politics and and uh uh oh the uh I, I guess just the politics of oil? Yeah, well, good question. Um and the answer is I wanted to figure out who killed my father. <laughs> Well, I was trying to figure out a way to start there, <laughs> you know, to yeah. set up some context and, and to then follow the story where, where you've taken it. Yeah, and, and in fact, what I, in, in the course of my in, uh, investigation, I found out the role of oil and pipelines at the time of his death, which was, by, my, by the way, 1947 in March. I was six weeks old at the time. And uh, once I learned that, I realized if I followed the pipelines, um, I would uncover the origin of a lot of the endless wars in the Middle East. And now the Balkans. No, not the Balkans. I'm sorry. Ukraine. I was just looking at a book called NATO and the Balkans. <laughs> so it threw me off. But anyway, th that is the answer. I can elaborate on it if you want about what my father was up to. But Yeah, I, I, I'd like to start there. Um, but... But also, I, I, I want to make sure that we include the fact that um, Russia uh, or Putin's invasion of Ukraine was um, really somewhat predictable. Oh, that's, that's a good point as well. Um, I would say yes. I would also say that the, uh, the official explanation that this was unprovoked, which is repeated over and over again, um, should be questioned. Uh, because Let if it was provoked, it, that would make it predictable. Um, 
here here's the thing right before not right before you always have to go back in history to to uncover the the real reason for something that's what i feel historical context is extremely important well there's an interesting of, okay, there's there's yeah. an interesting joke that that gets played on my show from time to time um jose Menace, uh, actor bill dana plays this character and in one skit he's the director of the cia and he's taking questions from the audience and somebody asks him what the biggest secret of world war ii was and he says that it's still going on and, and he didn't answer or he did no, that was his answer. Oh, because it's, because it's still going on. That's what he says? That was the biggest secret oh. kept of World War II. And, and it was funny in the moment, but, you know, after you pause for a minute and think about it, and you just sort of brushed by it a moment ago when you referred to endless wars in the Middle East. <laughs> um, we have been at war since World War II in some way or another. Well, yes, uh, some some ways more intense than others. Sure. Uh, but what I did, I, I um, first of all, I plunged into what my father was up to. So if I can explain that real quickly, then I'll bring us up to the present. Oh, you asked me about Putin, though. Maybe I should deal with no, that. No, first. no, 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 no. Let's let's <laughs> let's go back to the beginning and follow okay. the path you took. Okay, and then we'll follow the pipelines. Okay, so. <clears throat> I um, I didn't start investigating until I was an adult, and I was a um, reporter in the Middle East, and I started thinking that maybe I was following some of my late father's footsteps. So I began to get really interested. What the heck was he doing at the time of his death? Well, I, I found in the family attic a steamer trunk, and inside had... Um, three major folders and full of his letters and and reports he was the america's first master spy in the middle east he he, he was head of counterintelligence that's called x2 which is the highest level of intelligence uh he was also uh very much prized for being a uh, scholar of the middle east of islam and so on and and during world war ii the oss America's first spy agency, the Office of Strategic Services, would pluck academics out of out of their teaching fields because this was the first intelligence agency, and they they had to figure out you know who's going to be best placed in whatever area. So he was considered ideal for the Middle East, uh, <clears throat> and um, so on his last mission, it was to Saudi Arabia. And what I learned from his last report and his last letter home, which I found in the steamer trunk, uh, was that this was a very uh, consequential mission, that the oil of Saudi Arabia was deemed absolutely critical to uh, the, the support of Europe after, after the war in Reconstruction and the Marshall Plan. And also to, and this is very important, see if this registers with you with regard to Ukraine. It was important to wean Europe off of Russian oil and, uh, no, wean it off of Russian con uh, communist-controlled coal, coal unions and coal mines. The whole idea was to replace coal with oil. 
And even back then, I, I then went into a, a New York Times article, which was terrific, March 2, 1947. And uh, it was headlined, Pipeline uh, is a new, is new issue for the Middle East. And then there was a map. So I looked at the map as well. And, and what this article revealed is that the Trans-Arabian Pipeline that was going to carry oil across the Arabian Desert to a terminal point on the Mediterranean Sea was a, a very big deal. It was the biggest industrial venture ever embarked on by the United States, just the, the construction of the pipeline. But then it also talked about uh, rivalry between the great powers, including uh, the British, the French, and the Russians. They were our allies during World War II, but after World War, War II, as my father predicted in his reports, there's going to be a real free-for-all. And it was among our allies. That's who he ended up spying on. And the reason there was a free-for-all is they all wanted to get after the oil, wherever they could find it, particularly Saudi Arabia. They, they were very jealous of the fact that the United States had, had received a um, sole concession to develop the oil of Saudi Arabia. Uh, they they knew what that portended. Uh, the Russians feared that this would be the beginning of setting up U.S. military bases or, around the world. And by the way, oftentimes those military bases are to protect oil. And, and one of the things I found in one of my father's reports was, uh, this is back in 44 when he was actually sent over to the Middle East. He said, uh, we must protect the oil at all costs. So that was a clue to me how important oil was, number one. And then I just did a deep dive. I mean, among the things I found out is that the, uh, uh, the Syrians objected to running this pipeline through Syria and terminating in what was then Palestine, soon to become Israel. And, and the oil companies got very pissed off about their reluctance to the point that by uh, 1949, this is after my father died, uh, the CIA uh, performed its first coup, and that was to overthrow the democratically elected President Kuwatli of Syria and replace him by a police chief who was favorable to the pipeline running through Syria, terminating in Palestine. And, you know, another thing I really learned is the importance of looking at maps. Maps are wonderful. And, and I have 20 of them in my book. And, I mean, how interesting is that, that this pipeline might have terminated in either Lebanon or, or pa Palestine. It, it was still up for grabs at the, at the time of my father's death. Um, but, I mean, those are the main areas of conflict in the world it would turn out to be. So, again, I became doubly interested. And uh, I, I just have to make a long story short. Uh, my father died uh, in a plane crash on the way back from this top-secret mission to Saudi Arabia. Uh, I, I figured out that his primary job was to make sure that pipeline was safe. And, and you, you have to figure, you, one thing to get the oil, it's the other thing to ship it out to markets. So pipelines were a more efficient and cheaper way of, of, of sending out the oil instead of through oil tankers. Uh, but there were perils associated with it, just as I described about Syria. You've got to make sure that the transit route is safe, that there aren't going to be any people trying to sabotage it. It's almost like, 
you got you got to fight the indigenous people that are going to come after you with bows and arrows. Only this time they're going to come after you with guns. So the role of the intelligence agent was very important at that time. Then when the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan happened, um, I, I, I got even deeper into this subject. I followed the pipelines and discovered to my amazement uh, that there was a pipeline connection to uh, the invasion of Iraq, and there was a pipeline connection to our invasion of Afghanistan. So I've been following the pipelines ever since. And the reason that most people don't know about this is it's always been top secret. Like one of the biggest secrets, maybe that's what the referral was to World War II. <laughs> yeah, because exactly. once, you, once you get an oil consciousness and you start and pipeline consciousness, and you start applying that even to all the, the, the uh, battles in Europe, you'll find out a lot of them were over, you know, seizing oil in Poland, seizing oil in uh, Baku, uh, the, around the Caspian Sea, the Germans had a big lesson for both World, One, World War One and World War Two, and that is they lost because their armies and air forces ran out of fuel. Did I mean, you... it's fundamental. And when you even take it up to the Ukraine war, you may you may remember when the uh, those Russian convoys were were not making any progress as the invasion of of. Uh, Ukraine began uh, is because they ran out of gas. The same thing that amazed me because it, Russia has plenty of it, but it must have been bad logistics. But this is the key, and this is why oil is not mentioned in Charlotte, any of these conflicts. Was there anything suspicious about the plane crash that killed your father? Oh yes, there was. Um, what was suspicious? First of all, I looked at the obituary. Now, this must have been written by his parents, and uh, there probably uh, there was some coaching from Washington because of the top-secret na- n- uh, nature of his mi- mission. Uh, and I looked at the obituary. It didn't mention that he'd just come from Saudi Arabia. It didn't mention oil. And it said that he was on a vacation junket to Ethiopia. Well, I knew he wasn't on a vacation <laughs> junket because I had his last report. They didn't know that at the time, but I knew. That was my little secret that I kept for a long time, Not, but then exposed it all in the book. Uh, so that was my first tip-off. Uh, I sued the CIA under the Freedom of Information Act, and I was also able to access a lot of his declassified reports in the National Archives. And and in the process of that, what I found out is that, uh, yes, his uh, both the Russians and, and the British were particularly uh, nervous about Amer- uh, the U.S. not only getting control of the oil of Saudi Arabia, but the fact that the Emperor Selassie of Ethiopia had granted a sole concession to the Americans. And the British, the British were primarily concerned because they controlled oil everything in Ethiopia at the time. It was a colonial uh, regime, and uh, they controlled the air routes, the railroads, the roads, communications. And in comes the Americans. I I hate to interrupt, Charlotte, but I have to take a short break here. Can you stick around? Because I I think we're just getting started. Okay. All right. My guest is Charlotte Dennett, and we will uh, have more right after this. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom What are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with best-selling author Charlotte Dennett, talking about her book, uh, Follow the Pipelines. And um, she joins me by phone. Charlotte, um, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, okay. Um, Just before the break, we were talking about the fact that um, what started you down this path of following the pipelines was really trying to find out how your father died. He, He was killed in a plane crash, and I had asked you if there was anything suspicious about the, uh, about the plane crash, and you said yes. Um, and, and I was a little curious to, to clarify, um, you talked about working as a journalist in the Middle East. Did this all start with your search for what happened to your father, or were you already a journalist and, and working in the Middle East when you started on this path? No, I, I was already a journalist. Um, <clears throat> I had um, left with my mother. She had three children. I'm the youngest, obviously, and uh, <clears throat> returned to the States. I grew up in Winchester, Massachusetts. I went to college in Massachusetts. And then <clears throat> I went uh, to Italy for my master's degree in art history, of all things. My mother died, and then I, uh, so I was essentially an orphan then, and I decided to go to the Middle East. She had brought me there as a, as a senior in high school, by the way. Uh, my last two years were spent in Beirut. She missed it, and then she said, you want to come? And I said, take me there. And I, I learned so much by being over there. <clears throat> it was the greatest education I ever got. And I discovered there was a whole different explanation about the Middle East conflict than I was getting in the United States. So that's really, it was sort of a combination of me uh, getting more and more involved in trying to understand the Middle East, because I also needed to understand what my father was up to. So the two, the two things were sort of combined once I uh, became a young adult and, and began the investigation. So back back to that that plane crash. The thing is, yeah. there were six people on board that plane, Flight Three Eight Zero Four, and uh, they were all very high level uh, intelligence. The pilots uh, were used to carrying VIPs around, and uh, on board with my father, the spy, was the petroleum attaché out of uh, Cairo. He was. He was American. He was surveying all different oil prospects after the war, so he was on the plane. Another person was a top communications specialist. And um, the reason he's important was because the plane was carrying heavy uh, communications equipment. The purpose was to set up an Ethiopian Airlines that would be uh, run, uh, owned by the Ethiopians, but managed by the Americans through TWA. So the British would not have liked the Americans coming in and uh, ruining their monopoly over communications in Ethiopia. Uh, Meanwhile, the Russians were concerned, too. They were beginning to get more and more involved in Ethiopia. Uh, They had set up a major hospital. So I I will throw out this little hint about my, my investigation. There was one person who would have satisfied the interests of the British and the Russians at the same time, 
He's the most famous spy of the 20th century, and his name was Kim Philby. He was ostensibly uh, working for the British, but the whole time he was secretly working for the Soviet Union. And he was my father's direct counterpart at the time. He was head of counter in- British counterintelligence posted in Turkey. My father was in charge of American counterintelligence posted in Beirut. So they had to have known each other. My problem is I can't find any indication uh, of them meeting. And I suspect that there may there's one document which I've tried to get a hold of, and all I've got from the archives is, is the sort of the face sheet, which describes what's in it. It's a huge report on British intelligence. I've looked everywhere. I cannot find it. That might have uh, nailed my conclusion. But um, I had a, a chance as a young adult later um, to go to a spook event. I was taken there by an archivist, and I met one of the men that, that knew my father, knew of his work, and worked in the Middle East. And what he said to me uh, over maybe one too many sips of wine, he said, your father's loss was huge. Uh, because he was so knowledgeable of the culture of the area and the history. And, and then he said, we always thought it was sabotage, but we could never prove it. So that kind of vindicated my quest, and I kept going. So you'll have to re- read the book to help me yeah, solve no. this mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, but I, but, but then I, what I do is talk. I weave in my personal story with my findings about the role in... Uh, uh, foreign policy. And every country that aspires to be a great power has to get control of oil because it feeds the military. And the other thing is that the reason that oil isn't mentioned is because what mother wants to send her her husband or her children uh, into war so that it can help oil companies and their profits doesn't work. So you've got to come up with other pretexts for why they're being sent in there. Well, I you can know, tell you about Afghanistan and Iraq if you want, but I don't know if we have enough time. Well, I, I'm I'm a little concerned about that myself, and and let me see if I can and direct this a little bit because I think for a lot of people that are relying on Western news sources, um, the the invasion of Ukraine seemed out of the blue, and I, until I started uh, digging into your book a little bit. I didn't realize that Russia was so invested in natural gas. Yeah. That that was that was an eye opener for me. I thought that was almost a, a uniquely American phenomenon, the use of of natural gas. Absolutely. It's the second biggest uh has the second largest gas natural gas reserves in the world. So this this struggle between the US and the Russians has been going on for centuries. And it's not about democracy versus communism, as is put out to the American people. I mean, yes, we're, we're certainly more of a democracy than the Russians, that's for sure. And, and I certainly wouldn't want to live under a Russian or communist regime. But there's, there are other factors involved, and, and that is the scramble to control oil and natural gas, because natural gas now um, is very important for industry. And 
we can all see what's happening because of this war. And what worries me about it, I, I view it as a war between two super petro powers. And, and what worries me is that because the great prize is the oil, the oil and the natural gas, uh, well, let me ask this. Let me ask this, Charlotte. Is, is there a way that we can connect the dots between your original search for what happened to your father and how he was killed in the Middle East, and then how following the pipelines led you to some of the things that you have discovered about Ukraine and the Russian invasion uh, recently? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, the first tip-off to me, because I follow the pipelines, is that the first heavy sanctions that the U.S. put on Russia after it began the invasion is they convinced Germany to hold off in um, allowing the... uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline that was carrying natural gas from Russia to Germany, and then it would be distributed throughout Europe. And they convinced Germany to hold up the the certification of the pipeline. The U.S. had been fighting it for for years because they knew what would happen if that pipeline were allowed to go through, and it, it has been built, and it goes under the Baltic Sea next to another pipeline, uh, Nord Stream 1, if that had gone through, uh, it would have made Europe even more dependent on Russian oil and natural gas. And so they, they, put, they, they stopped it. And, and having done that, well, the reason they did is because Europe is, is 40%, 40% of its fuel supplies come from Russia. So then you've got American oil companies, and particularly, uh, I would say, the ones in the South that were uh, profiting from shale oil explanation and fracking, they've been trying very heavily, beginning, I would say, well, beginning under under Trump. Uh, they're the main financiers of Trump, by the way, it's the fracking oil industry. So they're trying to get into Europe. And, and because of this... Uh, crisis in Ukraine, uh, they are succeeding. Uh, they're, they're, they're sending uh, natural gas, and the problem is there haven't been an, enough LNG terminals to receive it, so that's creating a problem. And because the Russians have, begin, have begun to sort of retaliate against the sanctions and, and the fact that NATO is pouring arms into Ukraine, uh, it, it's now you know, holding up supplies. I believe it's held up supplies to Poland. And, and all of Eastern Europe is worried that it's going to get worse, which is why, why Biden is going to our former e- enemies like Venezuela, which is a huge oil producer, and Saudi Arabia, which murdered, you know, the king murdered the Washington Post correspondents. He's, he's got to forget all about that and play nice with the Saudis to try to get them to increase the amount of oil. And, and so that would lower the, the price of gas at the pump. And from the analysis that I've read, uh, it, 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 it's almost too little too late. So we're, we're going to be stuck with this energy crisis for for some time to come, I, I believe. And, and Why? the fact that these are two nuclear powers battling it out has the whole world very nervous. Charlotte, why why wouldn't these events, as they've been unfolding really for decades, 
why wouldn't they drive um, work in in the areas of alternative energy sources um, more robustly? Well, in fact, that that is happening. It is happening more robustly, but at the same time, <clears throat> the the um, the the biggest oil companies, which still call the shots, and I'm talking about ExxonMobil, BP, Shell, Chevron, uh, they um, they are investing. They they see what's happening, and they have the resources and the money to do it. Some of the what I would call the miners or the independents, um, they probably well they don't have the same wherewithal. And, and so they're more invested in uh, what you know, increasing production of oil and natural gas in the United States. They have to meet meet their profit margins, and and um, so that's what they're doing. So anyway, in a way, there, there there are subterranean struggles going on as well. Those between the majors, who which, for instance, if you take Exxon Mobil and Chevron. Um, these were former uh, Rockefeller companies. And by the way, my husband and I wrote a huge book about Rockefeller and its influence in Latin America and oil. And so I've learned from that as well. Uh, and <clears throat> so, yes, fortunately, Europe is more invested in, in uh, finding alternatives because it feels more vulnerable. You know, it's right next door to the Russians. And... and and they they just want to get off the dependency on the Middle East, which is very problematic, and on Russia. So yes, it's going on. It's just that um, it's not enough to to meet the world energy needs at this moment, and also um, because they're still they're still roaming the world looking for new sources of oil and natural gas, and oil because it fuels the military. The biggest consumer of oil is the military, you see. So, and you can see also that there's a connection between oil and the military. Uh, my father said we must protect the oil at all costs. Well, how do you protect the oil? Well, espionage and military. Now, one of the things I found out, for instance, in Afghanistan, uh, one of the main reasons for that war according to a State Department official, was to protect a projected pipeline route from the Caspian Sea going through Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India. T-A-P-I, TAPI, the TAPI pipeline. So the oil, he, he said, we got involved in Afghanistan so the energy could flow south. That's what he said. And it was a Canadian economist who used to work for the World Bank that, that found this. And uh, so his name's John Foster. People should check him out. Um, and so that's what he uncovered. And uh, also, I, I just want to say with the, with the, oh, yeah, and Canadian forces were the primary uh, Western forces that were protecting the pipeline route in Afghanistan. And now that the, the, the U.S. has withdrawn, the Taliban is renegotiating with Turkmenistan and these, the other countries for the completion of the pipeline, and they have offered to be the main protectors of the pipeline. So that's Afghanistan. And, and then with Iraq, 
one of the main features of that war was that Bibi Netanyahu, the uh, then the finance minister of Israel, wanted to reopen a pipeline from Iraq that would go to uh, Haifa in Israel, and it was closed. Um, it was closed in 1948 during the Israeli War for Independence because the Iraqis were very nationalistic, didn't want to cooperate, and so. Um, here we have the the war in Iraq that was supposed to cause the oil flowing to Palestine, or he would say to Israel, to Haifa. It's going to happen soon. It's not a pipe dream, he said. In fact, it was because the person they were going to have to replace Saddam Hussein uh, was Ahmed Shalabi, who was pro-Israel. He would have allowed that pipeline to go through, but he was the same guy that came up with the weapons of mass destruction pretext for going into into that war, and once it was found out that that was a myth, he was discredited. And so that pipeline has never been reopened. But see, that's one of the interesting things about, uh, about your book, because for years people have been speculating that all of the struggles and turmoil in the Middle East were over oil, but they were all treated like the foil hat crowd, that these were conspiracy yeah, theories. And, <laughs> and what you've done, and you and your husband in previous writing, what you've done is gone and found the real trail that, that explains why these things are, are true. And you point out some of the, uh, some of the myths, like like most people believed as soon as Russia invaded Ukraine, that it this was just part of uh, Putin wanting to rebuild the Soviet Union, and yeah. and and it was a, it was more of a a land grab and a step toward you know building back up to the uh, you know uh, Cold War days of the Soviet Union. And, and you point out that that's not it at all, that it's about oil. And, well, and it, I've read some things that, that suggest water's involved, too. Oh, well, okay. So, yeah, they're not going to mention the resources. They just won't do it. Because, again, there's this worry. Who wants to fight for, for these giant, you know, oil companies? <laughs> anyway, so that's kept secret. I mean, it is part of, the Russians do want to restore, Putin wants to restore the, the former glory of the Soviet Union and, and going further back, you know, the great Russia um, argument that he uses to convince the Russians that this is a just war for them, okay? Uh, but, yeah, I mean... What's interesting about Ukraine is that the oil and natural gas connection is is so obvious. They can't help but but talk about it because, well, of, of course you've seen. You know, everyone's wondering how they're going to get their oil and natural gas and who has to go where to find alternative sources. Now we're paying at the pump. So it's becoming clearer to people. Uh, but what's missing is the context. And one of the things... I rely on, which I love. In the course of my investigation, I found this fantastic sentence by a man named Jan Liesma, who's a top uh, forensic uh, scientist who, who's called in to uh, um, explain uh, criminal cases. He's an expert. One of the things he said is, facts seen in isolation get you nowhere. 
facts put into context explain what the origin of the of the crime is and the context i argue is a historical and b certainly with regard to the middle east you know oil that's how you're going to find the context so so putin has invested everything into oil and natural gas i mean th- that is and, and so the us is Can going you, after him do you They're trying to weaken him and and uh, one last thing um yeah. NATO, the NATO countries agreed in 1992 after the collapse of the Soviet Union, or the dissolution, I should say, there was an agreement in writing that NATO would not advance uh, military supplies closer to the borders of Russia. And they broke that promise. The Russians never forgot that. Do you and they continue underst- to break the promise. Do you have an understanding why the the situation with with oil and and the uh the embargoes and so on um by the nato countries of russian oil why that would have such an impact on american gas prices well because of shortages um it, it's just the, the you know this is a world problem this this isn't just biden's problem it's the world's problem but you know, with politics, they'll blame they'll blame Biden for it. Okay, and <laughs> and you, some people are saying, look, time to have a debate about this war because up to now it's all been you know it's propaganda. It's on both sides, and and um, so the reason is because uh, if 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 you can't find enough oil in one place, you've got to look for another. And the whole Ukraine problem is creating huge instability. It's also creating great profits, both for the oil and the, the military-industrial complex are making out like bandits. And, well, and frankly, I don't think they care. I don't, I don't think they care about how people are suffering because of the high uh, gasoline prices. Pretty soon they're going to have to because the people are going to start revolt. And that's when they pay attention. But, um, yeah, there's that and there's COVID. I mean, COVID almost ruined the oil industry because nobody was traveling. And so, um, you know, they couldn't get access. And so the, the price of oil just went way down. Now they've recovered beautifully. But it's all interconnected now. I mean, as you can see. And uh, there, there are some countries that don't want to cooperate. They're reluctant to because they're reliant on Russia. Uh, and they're also allied with Russia. Uh, India is, is one example. Um, they haven't gone along with uh, uh, British sanctions yet. We're, we're going we're to have to end it here because we're right. running out of time. Sure. Um, but my guest is Charlotte Dennett. The book is Follow the Pipelines, Uncovering the Mystery of a Lost Spy and the Deadly Politics of the Great Game for Oil. And in the remaining 30 seconds, um, I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they might find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? that you'd like to share? I, I do. I have a website, charlottedennett.com. Uh, that is about my work. I'm also a lawyer. So half of it is about my, my legal cases, sure. and the other half is about all my writing. So you can find it there. You can also find my email address and how to contact me if you want to. Well, and Charlotte, I've thank just started you so a much. new one called followthepipelines.com. 
Well, keep up the good work, and thank you. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball, or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney General and we got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash AG. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. In these days of the Cold War, the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, has become one of our most valuable tools. However, many Americans have complained that too much of the CIA's activities have been kept secret. Tonight, as a public service, we are happy to be able to present the secret head of the CIA who will answer all of your questions. To maintain the secrecy of his identity, he will be wearing a mask. How do you, how do you do, sir? My name, Jose Imana. <laughs> sir, you, you just told your name. What are you going to do now? <laughs> What are you going to do now? Well, I guess I'll just take off the mask. But first, I'd like to say something. What? Trick or treat. <laughs> sir, as a... Uh, oh, boy, sir. they're going to really kid me about that back at the office, I do Sir, sir. First time I had this mask off. Do I need to shave up here? No, no, no. It has been said that spies work for the highest bidder. Would you tell me if that's true? What's it worth to you? I, uh, I understand that uh, when you're a spy, you use very tricky devices. Is that true? You understand that when you're a spy, you use tricky devices. Well, you see this cigarette that I'm smoking? Uh-huh. You see that? Yes. That's really a gun. <laughs> Come on now, you can't tell me that cigarette is a gun. Oh, yeah? How would you like a shot in the mouth? Mm-hmm. We also, among other things, use very... Cleverly concealed cameras. Oh, really? Sure. See this front tooth here? <laughs> see that? Yes, I that's, see. That's not really a tooth. That's a miniature camera. How does it work? Just press my nose. <laughs> and, and that'll take a picture? No, I just like people to press my nose. <laughs> Actually, uh, my nose is a, a shortwave radio. <laughs> You work the camera by pulling in my left ear. What happens when you pull in your right ear? That turns on my nose. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's absolutely... Um... I think it's running now. <laughs> that's amazing, a camera in your tooth. Uh-huh. I can't even see the little hole. Well, that's because I was in the right half of the class. <laughs> How did you get an idea like that, having a camera in your tooth? Well, I had this film on my teeth. I thought, why let it go to waste? You know, Sir, I've heard that they do terrible things to gain information from captured spies. Oh, boy. You heard about that, huh? Yes. I tell you, they do. Oh, you know, one time they captured me. And they took these bamboo things, they put them underneath my fingernails, and they lit fire to them. They were burning things under my fingernails. <laughs> and then they came and they hit me on the shoulders very hard, right there with the bony part where it really could hurt. <laughs> and then they punched me in the nose, and they punched me in the stomach. And then they took these pair of pliers, and they squeezed me all over the place. <laughs> 
then they started to torture me. Did you talk? No, I was too busy screaming. You must have had some uh, thrilling experiences. Oh, I can think of one now. You know, one time I was on a plane, you know, and I had these foreign documents, and I saw on the same plane, right down just a couple of seats from me, still in first class, Yes. Oh. were a couple of foreign power people, you see? Yes. They were there. Yes. So I took these foreign documents, and I went into the laboratory, but when I came out, they caught me with the documents. Well, why didn't you get rid of them? There was a sign that says, don't throw any foreign articles into the laboratory. So who would you say was the greatest spy in history? The greatest spy in history was Ludwig van Beethoven. I didn't know Beethoven was a spy. You see how great he was? Uh. As long as we have you here in front of these microphones, uh, would uh, be all right with you if some of the people here in the audience ask you some questions uh, pertaining to the CIA. Would you answer all of their questions? Yes, I would answer all of them. Oh, that's I'd very good. Very happy. Would you delighted. please uh, feel free to ask any questions you have? How can we get a job at the CIA? You have any experience as a spy? <laughs> Not yet. Are you married? Yes. You've had experience. <laughs> If you are caught behind enemy lines, all you have to do is give the name, rank, and serial number of every soldier in the United States Army, where they are billeted, and, and how many bullets they have. Otherwise, they'll give you such a clock, you won't even know what to Yes. That it's still going on. <laughs> I mean, do you hear anything whistling, duck? Does the CIA have a theme song? Excuse me? Does the CIA have a theme song? Yes. It's over where? <laughs> Here you go. How many copies would you like? Well, sir, in conclusion, uh, as a spy, uh, do you have a code? No, it just sounds like that because I got this radio in my nose. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. One thing about this world you can't depend on anything. The leaders that we follow, they can't even write their name But here we are in America Ain't it just a shame how it goes on and on? 
children going hungry, teens are turning to crime. And politicians know it's true, but they ain't got no time. And here we are in America, nothing seems to change, it just goes on and on and on. But there may be people who truly do care, they may be mighty, but still they lack the key.
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 